fam, thanks for checking this little recording out. If you're listening to this, it means you must have attended a talk, workshop, or even a class of mine that I recorded, and you want to get the nitty gritty. That's great. Excellent. If you're just being snoopy and you're trying to figure things out, it's all good. My name's Dan White Hodge. I'm an educator, and you're about to learn something today. Thanks again for following up, and I truly hope this adds an enrichment to you and your work. As always, hit me up if you got them questions at whitehodge.com and check out my podcast while you're at it, Profane Faith. I'll talk with you later. Peace. commercialization of commodity, it has become in certain respects, rejects dominant forms, has become in certain respects, whoops, I'm sorry, forms of culture and society and seeks to increase social consciousness along with racial and ethnic pride. Thus, hip-hop using rap music, dance, music production, emceeing, and allegory as vehicles to send and fund its message of social, cultural, and political resistance dominate structures of norms. All right. So what do we what do you what do you hear? What do you see when you read this definition? It's a working definition of hip hop. What's that? Decentering. Decentering, great. Okay. What does that what does that mean then? How does that break down? That sounds like a college word. This <laughs> <laughs> UCC word. All right. Decentering is centering, taking your center of mm-hmm. the white mark and going to the margin. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Great. Great. It's a lot of pieces that come together to create mm-hmm. a, a culture, which, I mean, anything is. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So rap music is just a part in addition to the dance. The mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Good, yes. It feels like rebellion to, uh, to um, it rejects dominant form. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not content with what the dominant um, form is of our culture. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a reaction to that. And I'm curious about what specifically that would be. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So is it bringing up the underbelly and the alternative to force out the dominant? Because it's the very last sentence where it says, to send forth and fund its message of social resistance to dominant mm-hmm. structures and norms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to push out the norm for mm-hmm. this alternative. Yeah. Like. Could be, could be. All right, good. Anything else? Racial and ethnic pride are a central part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Consciousness. Consciousness, absolutely, which is a big one. Mm-hmm. Right? You get theological, you know, when you start, particularly once, you know, uh, you start to get into, again, the kind of decolonized century, you start to look at uh, uh, third eye theology, which is really just an understanding of having your brain aware and, and you know, having that eye that goes, you know, into your mind and being, being open to that. Um, other faiths have picked up, I think, a little bit better than some Christians have on, on that five percenters, Zulu nation. Um, those folks have. Okay. Yes. Are you okay with us taking photos of your slides? Oh, yeah, yeah. Take photos. Do what you got to do. Students do it all the time. Shoot, they put it in there. And, but thank you for asking. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yes. You're using colonialism. Yes. And this is fascinating me because I'm hearing a lot about it, particularly in the church realm. Yo, yes, yes. Um, and um, I, I can see how that that becomes the rejection, mm-hmm. you know, um, into the colonialism. 
Will you talk more about that with this? I'm not sure everybody here understands what that is in the, in the context. Of sure. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, uh, interestingly enough, I just put a lot of that stuff looking at missions and particularly the age of exploration and what that looked like uh, in a book I just put out with IVP uh, called Homeland Insecurity. And so, yes, colonialism really is in effect what happens when somebody in, or a system or someone comes with their own set of culture or ideas and ideology and then begins to, you know, impart that in certain ways. So, for example, if we show up as a colonizing place, we can look at it, for example, um, people talk about colonizing Mars. Well, okay, great. We've got to show up there first. We've got to figure out the atmosphere. But we're not necessarily Martians. We're Earthlings. And so we've got to come with our own material, our own water. Some people talk about, uh, you know, changing the atmosphere there. So that's on one end of that. But what happens then when, let's say, you come from Portugal, you know, or, port, you, know, from, uh, you know, from Spain, and now you're coming here to what would now be recognized as New Mexico or Mexico, and you encounter people who don't think and act like you now you feel like right god now you intervene religion and say god has called me to do this and right this whole manifest destiny thing and now we begin to get into these kind of intricacies of well you know because in new mexico and particularly the indigenous folks of that area said okay great one more god the merrier that's awesome all right but as opposed to saying, no, this is the only God, and as opposed to, you know, saying, let's have a conversation about that. No, we're going to imprison you or we're going to kill you. And so then the culture and the rules then begin to change and reflect that. It's like when my students say, oh, we're in a different era, right? We're, we elected a black president for eight years, and, you know, I don't know why we keep talking about race so much. So I say, okay, let's go to policymakers, System makers, because that at the end of the day is essentially what matters. Who's in charge? Even if there's other people that look like me, I want to know who's in charge. And so when colonialism shows up in theological identities, um, it begins to assume God looks a certain way. God talks a certain way. God is only showing up and manifesting God's self in this particular manner. And so colonialism begins to show itself up. Um, in that, and of course, I break it down and look at you know. I go all the way back to you know, the age of exploration and look at how some of those things showed up, particularly in the enslavement period in this country, um, and how those things have manifested all the way up into somebody like Billy Graham, right? Um, and so, you know, I mean, confessionally, I was never a fan of Billy Graham. I mean, it's, you know, I get that that's somebody's god, and I studied him and workshop him the whole nine, right? You know, because he was in Southern California a, a whole bunch, particularly when I was doing my PhD and stuff. And so it was great for me because I could show up to rallies and, you know, but when we deify somebody, because no one's above critique, right? Um, it's very interesting because those qualities then, because we always think about people, you know, as when they're dead, as, as these heroic heroes and stuff. But colonization can smooth some of that stuff over. Like, oh, well, they were just preaching the gospel. Yes, but what gospel? Whose gospel? Right? Whose interpretation of that gospel? And this is where it then begins to begin. And that's the one thing I can say about, you know, our brothers and sisters in Islam. The Quran hasn't been touched. There is no NIV of the Quran, right? There is no, right, New King James Version. It is either the Quran in the original language or that's it. There are other versions. Yes, there are English versions. Yes, there are Spanish versions, which is a growing number of uh, Mexican Muslims. I it was blown away. I saw some in my neighborhood. I was like, wait, what? Mexican Muslims and Mexican Jews. I was like, well, what in the world? 
The comedian side of me, of course, you know, because like, I'm part black and, and Mexican, uh, African-American and Mexican-American. The comedian side of me was like, oh, man, I can come up with all kinds of jokes with that. But, I, you know, I, I stopped myself. I stopped myself because I realized, yeah, you know, we're in an interesting place in time, right, as it, you know, as it comes to that. So, yes, going back to this, bringing it back, there is a rejection of that dominance and what that dominance has, has, has placed on people, if that makes sense. gets into, you know, a field called ethnomusicology, where you begin to look at the, you know, the ethnic part of music and understanding how culture, because everybody loves music. There's not a soul on the planet that doesn't enjoy music at some level, in some context, you know. Um, so it's a matter of figuring out, like, how does that then communicate, right? Uh, you know, music is a universal language, but its meaning is not. And so we have to remember that. Well, let's get rap. Okay, there you go. Come on. Somebody read that for him. A brother. Rap is the main medium of the hip-hop culture that brings definition, value, understanding, and appreciation to the social isolation, economic hardship, political demoralization, and cultural exploitation endured by most ghetto and poor white communities. All right. So here we go. Definition, right? Value. You gotta remember, poor white folks outnumber black and Latinx peoples five to one in this country. That number's growing too, especially when you look at the demographic numbers. You know, the 2016 election. Um, you know, rural, small, rural, disenfranchised white communities have felt ostracized for centuries. Now, I think their blame is wrong, right? But, but nevertheless, who they are and what, they are. of course, as we know, poverty in this country, um, you know, often has a color. Um, so when we think about that, you know, that has to be included. There are more M&Ms in this country than we realize. All right? Good. All right. So that's one side of it. Political demoralization. Here's another side of this. You might read this other part. Thus, rap is the musical expression that complements the oral communication of the people. Rap also captures the ghetto and poor experience. Valid and real, and feeding many poor whites. Uh, rap brings the revenue, which the culture. There you go. So the last sentence, that's when we get into trouble. 
And this is the challenge, right? And this is the thing, because it's like, you know, we, it's easy to say, oh, why are these rappers talking about that stuff? But as I was interviewing folks and you know, interviewing, you know, artists that are making millions of dollars, it became much more clear that it's much more complex. Because he was like, this is what uh, Jadakiss told me, which is an artist you can look up. And he's just like, look, he said, yeah, I talk about violence in my music, but what movies do you watch, right? What about the movies you go out and watch that are 10 times that more violent? Like, are you to say, like, I'm just talking about fun stuff, but are you, like, are you, uh, uh, you know, and he has very colorful language. He's like, are you a mental midget enough to think that, you know, what's on screen is reality? No, it's this. He said, you know, so he's kind of looking at this, and then he put it another way. He said, let's look at it another way. He was like, I am somebody who came from broke down nothing, but now my kids are considered old money. We know about old money, right? Wealth, that, that stuff. You don't even have to work for it. You show up, that stuff's in your bank. Cars in the driveway, you know what I'm saying? College is paid for, hopefully the right way, not the, not the wrong way. Um, college is paid for. That whole nine, right? So he's like, you tell me. He's like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? And I was like, man, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. But I was like, God, I'm just, I'm asking the question. So it gets interesting with this last sentence with folks who don't have much and now all of a sudden you're offered a 12 million dollar record contract and people think oh man 12 million dollars i mean there's somebody on the street who's making nothing maybe he's doing some some elusive things in the underground economy and all of a sudden is now faced with 12 million dollars whoa bring my family out of poverty buy my mama a house right the catch is, you can't be talking about, you know, no positive stuff. We wanted you to talk about the bees and the hoes. And I was on the radio with uh, um, the rapper, um, oh, man, I'm forgetting his name, Baptized, David Banner. David Banner. Uh, and this was right around the time of Katrina. And so, he, you know, his neighborhood in Mississippi was hit just as bad, if not worse. And he was just devastated. He was like, I, there's no way I can keep rapping about what I'm rapping about and having the money that I make go to myself. He's like, I need to take this money and he's like, I'm scratching this whole next album and I'm putting it together and all the proceeds are going to go to rebuild my community in Mississippi. Well, his record company at the time uh, caught wind of that um, and they said, you know, they sent him a letter, a memo of understanding saying, you know, hey, you know, if you don't get back to talking about it, and they spelled it out, the bitches and the holes, you will be in, you know, violation of your contract and you can settle your, your debt with your producers, your manager, the studio, because you have to use the, you have to use the studio. You can't use JJ's studio or Ray Ray's studio of the street. You got to use the studio that we say to go to, and that one's about forty two hundred dollars an hour. All right, you know. You think about Young Jeezy. Young Jeezy charges you about sixty thousand dollars a minute to be on your album. All that stuff comes out of the per diem. Your most artists enter the record industry in debt, so you're indebted to the record company. So he had to wait. He had to wait um, almost a decade to start doing what he wanted to do. Because he's like, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to get out. I couldn't afford to get out. So I had to keep talking about crap. Now, he worked it some magical way with taxes. I don't know how he did it. But that last sentence, right? Revenue. Woo! Rap wasn't paid attention to until 1989, when the first Grammy Award was won. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Everybody know Will Smith, one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood, right? That cat. You ever know his story, man? It's an amazing story, right? When they won the first Grammy, people were like, oh, wait, this is music? Oh, there might be something here. Let's check this out. So interesting stuff. You still with me, y'all? Still with me. Okay, all right, just checking. 
So this is what the great Charles Long, if you haven't ever read anything by the great Charles Long, um, a mentor to um, James Cone, uh, he's still alive, still at the uh, University of Chicago on the School of, of Religion. Amazing brother, amazing brother. This brother right here, I can sit and listen to him all day long. Um, he says, religion is thus understood to be pervasive, not only in religious institutions, but he says in all dimensions of cultural life. Whew, what? Even at the strip club? Jesus, you're crazy, Jesus. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. Religion is thus understood to be pervasive, not only in religious institutions, right? Because again, that's the easy part. Let's go to church, I said about a Hyundai, you know, the whole nine crosses, I ate Paxdale, the whole nine. But what about the cultural dimensions of life? Yes, absolutely, what about Monday? Gosh, doggets. Well, another guy, Dr. Robin Silva, another amazing brother, Traces of the Spirit, The Religious Dimensions of Popular Culture, came out in 2002, I highly recommend this book as well. He says, whatever happens, however, or what happens, however, when the encounter with the numinous, you know, the college words, just talking about the spirit, right? It's a big college, that's a seminary word, that ain't even a college word, that's a seminary word. The religious experience can no longer find adequate expression in the traditional religious institutions provided by the culture, question mark. Let me break it down. What then do you make sense of when you go to church? You did all the things that you were subscribed to do. You, you know, you, 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 you did your penances. You, 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 you went to whatever you did. Priest, I don't even believe it, but I'm going to go. I did all those things. We still lost our house. Grandma still died. I still got cancer. But Jesus, I thought you said faith of a mustard. We could move mountains. Why am I dying? Why am I the one? I don't know if y'all there, but I've had plenty of those times. This is what Dr. Sylvan is talking about. What happens when what we learn in institutions doesn't line up on Monday, right? One of the biggest things that happened in the 2008 downfall, economic downfall, uh, was that majority of America had a pinch what was already happening to black and brown Americans. See, black and brown Americans started losing homes in 2008. But since we're supposed to lose homes, right? Uh, and in my work and research there, it was interesting just to see how it hit the white community. Because I had a lot of white participants telling me, like, man, I'm white. This shouldn't be happening to me. I shouldn't be losing my house. Christians, right? 9-11. How can this happen in this country? God, now, you can either wrestle with that or go the extreme, the other side, and say, well, it's because we allow those homosexuals to marry, and that's why we're being punished. <laughs> I know, I know it's crazy stuff. But this is what he's getting at. And he has a whole book around it, like what happens, right, when your theological highway runs out, but there's still a lot of road left. So 08 was the, the crunch. Yes. Oh, one, 2001, 9-11. Oh, and that somehow affected the housing Well, I'm not saying that the two were connected. I'm just simply saying there was a national crisis, particularly for people of faith, to be like, what is happening? Okay. I'm All right? You know, what is going on nationally? What is, you know, that... 9-11 drew folks in. For a minute, we were united, you know. We, we ain't no more. So, so, when you start to think about it, this is, I love this album, by our album cover, um, by Kendrick. This is on his section 80. Look at that picture. Take that in for a second. What do you see? 
fancy choir robes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What else? You see a Bible? Yes. I have a Bible. I have, yeah. And what's on top of that Bible? Oh, I'm right. I actually know. Okay, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, a little something, something, a little, you know, a little medicinal purposes, right? Yeah. There's a condom over in the corner. And so Kendrick, and this is one of his more spiritual albums. It's messing it up for us. Sacred, secular, and profane. And so this particular album, man, gets into all kinds of stuff. I don't know y'all that well. I can't play y'all that music. Not, not tonight. When I come back next time, I will. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep PG-13 tonight. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Chain. You have to go chain. We got some bullets. We got a magazine in the corner. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, you got all kinds of stuff going on. The eggs, exactly. You got baby mama drama in the corner. You got the baby shoes. See? Because hmm? if that ain't something. Woo! Section eight, right. Well, he's going section 80, but right. Section eight, housing. Still his remainder, you know, a plague, particularly in black and brown communities, right? And poor Chinese community. You know that, oh my gosh, Chinese, they are, and, they, they, and people always think, oh, they're great in math and they're scientists. No, they are poor, man. In LA, where I came from, Chinese and Korean Americans struggled economically. Now, it's easy because, right, stereotypically, Asians are the model minority, right? We're typically held up as black folk against the model minority. It's what created the tensions between Koreans and African Americans in the 92 uprisings. I mean, there was more that went on it, but it, that, those tensions were really building up. And so it's just interesting to kind of see that. Again, Kendrick is saying, I think we need to have some conversations around this. Let me just put it into music. Let me put a concept album together where every song from beginning to end is all connected. That, for me, is what we miss on iTunes. We just download one song, and you miss the context, right? You got to go back and listen to that stuff, man. When you go back and listen to, oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm a Van Halen fan. When you listen to the, you know, some of their original work, um, and really, ultimately, why they split uh, with David Lee Roth uh, was because David Lee Roth was trying to get him to become more commercial. Now, ultimately, they ended up being that way. But there was still this essence of, of the, 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 the inner core of the band that said, no, we want to be much more connected with what's happening in society and culture and whatnot. And that was that tension, that friction, right? We're we going to make money or we're going to stick to some of these cultural roots? I don't know. So you say, Danny, what the hell are you talking about with the hip-hop theology? Let me show you a clip. Can I do that? Can I show you a clip? All right, all right. Just make sure. Never know. No, no. <laughs> All right. So this is um. No, no. This is good. This is this. Like I said, PG thirteen. No, this is this is good. This is good. So this kind of gives you kind of an overview of of the beginnings of of hip hop. This is from a documentary called Rhyme and Reason. Well, when you discuss the history of hip hop, uh, you gotta understand that hip hop has many stars. Hmm. The Illuminati. There we go. Had a start in jazz, had a start in rock and roll, disco. The culture different elements like rap, scratching, breakdancing. Rap is something that's being done. Hip hop is something that is being done. 
you got to be the Bronx. Period. Wherever you are in life, wherever you want to be, you will always be a rap artist until you visit the South Bronx. Look at the projects. Look at the people. See the environment that hip-hop started in. Go to 123 Park and just stay and imagine the birth of a culture happening in this very spot. The Bronx is hip-hop. Graffiti, breakdancing, MCing. All came from the Bronx. Yo, where we standing right here, this is this is a historical place in hip hop. This is like where it all began pretty much. The Godfather, hip hop cool hurts, right here in this building, 1600, and you can jam right here in this building. You know what I'm saying? Plug up to a light pole, like electricity from one of the windows, and just play right out here. This was back in 1974. Yeah. Dr. Dre. like radio shockwaves with new styles of scratching and stuff. It's one of the original instruments of hip-hop. Obviously, DST freaked everybody out on Herbie Hancock stuff when he was like, Flash, Flash, Flash. And early, the first DJs in the Young Ice T?
fight after you've done battled somebody and took all your aggression out on some dancing, you know. Hip hop ain't no easy game to play. If you ain't got no style, hang it up, sit down. My characters make people enjoy themselves with how I move my body and everything like that. So I feel it's a part of fun, popping and breaking, making people laugh. It's not just a hype thing, something that we're just into, just to make money. This goes way deeper, deeper than that. You know, they say, well, breaking is not hip-hop, you know? <laughs> Come on, if breaking wasn't hip-hop, you know, they don't know the history. Breaking means to me that it's a way of expressing myself, getting my anger out there, you know, instead of going out there and smoking or... I go to my own little world, I just express myself through breaking. I I'm just spinning and I feel like I'm flying. I'm flying in the air, man. You know, just I'm free. All right. So as you can see, cool. some crazy stuff, right? Some breakdown. There's a, there's a couple of you know good films out there. If you have a subscription to Netflix. Uh, it's called Hip Hop Evolution. Um, it, I would highly recommend that. It's a series, and it really gets into the deep history of hip hop culture. Uh, now, you know, it's not for sensitive ears, but it does get into, expands on what this is, and it's a modern day, um, it's talking to the artist, because there are so many people involved in hip hop culture that just never had the publicity like somebody like these three, right? There's so many people in hip-hop culture that help get folks to where they're at, and that's what I love about this particular docu-series is that they cover all that. It's now I think it's in third season, so you, 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 know, you can cover that. So Evolu Hip-Hop Evolution is on Netflix. I highly recommend that. And then if you want to like watch a, a fictional piece, you can watch an old-school film called Brown Sugar, and that talks about the difference between somebody who just wants to get paid in rap music and somebody who does it for actual living. And most deaf, he's like the taxi cab driver, and um, and you know he's like the one like he just keeps doing the taxi cab driver thing as opposed to getting paid the millions and like you know quote unquote selling out. So let me show you another little clip. Now this comes from uh, Tupac. This kind of gets into a little bit more about that pushing back right of against dominant form. So check this out um, as we're thinking about, particularly as we're thinking about uh, those definitions that I showed y'all here a few minutes ago. Oh no! Don't don't do that! Don't do that! No. What happened? Oh, man. This is... There we go. Okay. You know, we are a part of the black community. I'm a bug, and I rap about the oppressed fighting back.
we hungry, we need some food. After two, three weeks, it's like, you know, give me a little food, wrecking our door. After a year, you just like, you know what I'm saying? I'm picking the lock, coming through the door blasting, you know what I'm saying? It's like you hungry, you reach your level, you don't want anymore. We asked 10 years ago. We was asking with the Panthers. We was asking with them, you know, the civil rights movement. We was asking, you know, now that those people that were asking, they're all down in jail. So now what do you think we're gonna do? I put my gun away and grab my AK. It's getting painted. I can't call it. I'll swallow alcoholics. Smell a nigga's under pressure. So when we begin to think about kind of this post-civil rights and why so many folks are upset, and this kind of gets into my newer research of looking at those born particularly after like 1995, 1998, and I'm particularly interested of those who are now being referred to as digital natives, those born after 2000. My daughter was born in 2006, so she's grown up in nothing but a digital mediatized uh, environment. As a Gen Xer, I can still remember times when, you know, we didn't have internet, we didn't have Wi-Fi. Um, so post-civil rights is, is now taking up this kind of third wave of what Tupac was talking about back in 94 when he filmed that uh, interview. That was with Tabitha Soren, who used to be a VJ um, on MTV. Um, so this was a generation raised in the ruins of the Reagan crack cocaine era. They were the kids of the kids of the crack generation, right? And so they are dealing with that and they are seeing you know, the effects of that. We're also dealing with a generation raised in the womb of media culture. They've known nothing else but that. Even those, particularly those born after 1995, even though they were still technically in the 90s, uh, they've known nothing but a world of war. And a different kind of war. It's the reason why we go back to World War II. Every freaking year we got a brand new film on World War II. That was the last binary war. That was the last time where the sides were clear of who was bad and who was good. By the time you get to Vietnam, Vietnam exposed a new medium called television. It was one of the reasons why Vietnam stopped, because the way people were seeing it, like, oh, my God, this is what war is really about, right? Those, this, is, this, is what, this is what it's doing to people. Oh, my God, it's the first time we heard, right, post-traumatic stress disorder. It wasn't like the World War II vets didn't have that. Most of them weren't even talking about it, right? So th but this is a generation that grew up in the womb. Think about this. Think about the difference between World War II films and the television series 24 that took place after 9-11. Who's the enemy? I, I don't know. I don't know who's worse, right? You know, our central intelligence agency, them, I don't, I don't know. So it's a generation raised in that. Generation raised in the ambiguity of moral, ethics, and social values. It's what I like to call Achan's sin. I don't know if y'all remember Achan in the Old Testament, right? Achan, uh, oh my gosh, it's like back when God was Thanos. I'm a big uh, 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 comic book fan, right? It's like, man, Thanos, that's God. You know, pretty much throughout the entire freaking Old Testament, right? He gets tired of the world in Genesis. Like, I got the rings. I'm flooding everybody. Who's with me? Noah, bring your butt on, man. Give them that boat. I'm destroying the earth, right? And right about that time, right, you got Elijah, and he tells Elijah, go on in there and kill everybody. Everybody. Like, that's some crazy stuff. God, you crazy, God. Everything. And Achan says, well, hold up now. Like, I'll kill some people. I'll get it out, some aggression. But, man, they got some gold up in there. They got some nice pearls. Let me just keep a little bit. Let me just keep a little bit of that. Let me just put it in the back, right? Y'all know the story, right? And then Elijah comes out and gives him three chances. And it's not until, right, the spirit brings that stuff out and says, this is what this nigga was doing in the back, God. You know what I'm saying? So check this out. Then he's just like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Elijah was like, it's too late now. Shoot, your body, you, your kids, and your I, mean, I was like, whoa, that's a, oh, 
whole different conversation, right? We are now in that era where people aren't necessarily sorry about what they're doing. Otherwise, they would have confessed they're sorry because they got caught. Now I'm sorry. And that's across the board. I don't care if you're liberal, conservative. It's across the board, right? You guys remember Wiener? Remember the, the, the Democratic who got caught with... So, again, the ethics and morals is like, well, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think, right? Generation raised in one of the greatest shifts in Christian faith. It's a major shift going on right now. I'm sure y'all know all about it, right? Got all kind of experts telling us about, it's this, it's that, it's this. I won't get into all that, but it's a major shift. Started around 1991, which curiously enough, and I'm not saying this correlation or relation, curiously enough, that was kind of the rise of the internet as well. Information, right, gives a lot of people different advantages. It's one of the reasons why people stayed illiterate for so long and were able to believe a pastor. Because the pastor was the only one who knew how to read and knew how to take care of stuff. It's like, well, I just believe whatever the pastor says. But now we're not there anymore. I can ask any student I want, like, hey, look this up for me. Matter of seconds, bam. You know, I'm corrected all the time. Like, oh, Professor Haas, that's not what it says here. That's not what Wikipedia says. <laughs> Wikipedia, y'all killing me, man. So a generation raised in post-9-11 America. Right? We live in a different world. I still remember a time when you go to the gate. I proposed to my wife. We was long distance. She was in Minnesota. I was in uh, uh, California. And I proposed to her at the gate. You can't do that mess no more. You can't take one of these jugs full of water on the plane. No, not unless you're willing to pay $40 for like eight ounces. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some fool gets on there wanting to light their shoes, and now we got to take the shoes off. Oh, but we're going to make a little money in TSA. So, you know, we'll get you pre-checked. You know what I'm saying? But you got to pay a little fine for that. Again, Post-9-11 America is a different America. Different America that a lot, most of us were raised in. And hip-hoppers are reflecting that. That's what I love about Kendrick Lamar. If you haven't heard Kendrick, go listen to Kendrick. Um, generation raised on technology as normality and identity. you got to remember this. The record industry said, nobody's buying CDs anymore. But what are they doing? They're streaming. Streaming. So we can no longer continue to go by the old rules of how many record albums you sold. We have to go off of streams. People are going multi-platinum because of streams. People are making all kind of money on streams. Stuff that I wouldn't even really thought about. Spotify and, and iTunes music has essentially solved the dilemma of illegal downloading. You don't even hear about it anymore. Right? It's crazy. Right? People were like, how are we going to solve this dilemma? And you got people, artists fighting against it. I was like, mm-mm, don't fight against it. Somebody figured out a way. I, w I wish it was me. I wish I had a DeLorean that went 88 miles an hour. I can go back in time and make a little money, right? Um, generation raised on what's called the McDonaldization thesis, efficiency, calculability, control, and effectiveness. That's a social normality and ways of doing life. Let me get through this. Generation raised with likes and follows. There's a great documentary out there by Frontline called Generation Likes. Highly recommend taking a look at it. Um, again, not necessarily going against um, uh, uh, our technology, but I've yet to read a study that says these things make us happier. I've yet to read a study. Objectional ones. Conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. The Ford Foundation. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us, right? <laughs> you bring the healing oils out, right? You say, Phil, you know, but seriously, I'm teaching a course right now on me, uh, media and the family and whatnot, and it was one of the things that made my students feel the most uncomfortable. I said, for the next 48 hours, your assignment is to track your phone and technology usage. Woo, doggies! Well, I didn't really pick it up, you know, because your phone now tracks how many times you pick it up. Like, that counts. And one student, was, it was like 900 pickups. You know, I was like, wow. It was like, well, no, it was my cousin guy. I was like, no, nah, let's just sit with that. 
Let's just sit with that. I, and, I, and I put my stuff out there. I put my business out there. I was like, shoot, yeah. This is where we're at. You're right. We can't go anywhere without it. I still remember a card catalog in the library. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Generation race, also to organize and critically think. You think about Black Lives Matter, it started as a hashtag. And because they had Wi-Fi on Ferguson Boulevard at the McDonald's there, they were able to televise that stuff to the whole world. Otherwise, I didn't even know where Ferguson was. <laughs> like, oh, it's outside of St. Louis? What? Oh, so generation seeking Jesus, but unfiltered and raw. They're not seeking religion. And ultimately, it's a generation that is connecting with hip-hop in different and new ways. Let me in on this last slide, and then we'll open it up in Q&A. Because I don't want everybody falling asleep on me just yet. Um, oh, yeah, I'm not going to get to Jesus. It's too much. Too much. Um, here, let me, let me go with this right here. So these are the five theological motifs that I've found within uh, hip-hop that I find very interesting that I wanted to share with us. One, I find a theology of suffering. Um, I don't think we, particularly here in the West, Western Christians do deal with pain and suffering very well. We don't deal with lament. The theme I, uh, for my podcast this season, I'm on season four, um, is lament and the theology of hopelessness. Miguel de la Torre, a good co- a colleague of mine out at uh, Denver School of Theology, Iliff School of Theology, uh, writes a whole book on embracing hopelessness, a theology of hopelessness. You know? And I'm like, that is deep. I want to explore that. Right? Don't get me wrong. I think it's great to praise so much, but we rush too quick to that and then kind of look over the tender parts of lamenting. There's also theology of community. We've got to come together. You've got to remember, we evolved over thousands of years being in a group, a tight-knit group of people, 50, 60, 70, 80 people, where we were connected, facing horrible odds. The only place we get that now is if you join the military and you go into combat. Those vets are strongly connected to their platoon. So much so, they'll leave their families to go back into battle because of that. And you interview them, you talk to them, they'll actually say, yeah, I... I know that was a bad situation, but man, being next to that person or being next, you know. So there's something about community. We're wired that way. And I get it. We're all the extroverts and all that. I'm an extrovert. My wife's an introvert. Yes. But at the end of the day, community is important. Right? If you need someone. doesn't mean we're all going to get along. <laughs> doesn't mean we're all going to smell good either. But nevertheless, a theology of the hip-hop Jesus, and I dropped the S and add the Z. There's the whole thing behind that. But um, nevertheless, is looking at who Jesus was. Because you've got to remember, Jesus is hip-hop. You say, well, how's Jesus hip-hop? Okay. Grew up in the hood. Okay. From the hood. Officials hated him, right? You know what I'm saying? One of his boys did him in. Baby mama drama. Man, that fool was hip-hop, man. You telling me? Sue. <laughs> Jesus, man. Jesus. And Jesus used so many foul language words. Oh, my gosh. There's no rapper that can compare to what Jesus said. How he cursed out the Sadducees and Pharisees. In paracanonical literature, it talks about how the disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, don't call them snakes. What the hell are you doing, man? This is like the Maccabee line of people, and you're cursing them out? Jesus, you look crazy, man. I love John 6, right? John 6 talks about this Jesus that just didn't give an F. He just didn't give an F. He's telling people, you got to eat my blood and drink, or drink my blood and eat my flesh. And they're like, that's some zombies, Man, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the hell are you going to tell us to be drinking blood and eating stuff? And there's as many who were with him withdrew and walked with him no more. If that had been me, I'd have been like, damn, okay, hold up, hold up. I can't have all y'all leave. I'm going to lose my funding. Where's the tuition? <laughs> Where's the enrollment? Jesus doesn't miss a beat, turns around to his disciples and says, y'all going y'all gonna to leave me too? I got a mission. That's some crazy stuff. That's hip-hop Jesus, man. Woo! 
Theology of Social Action and Justice, and lastly, a theology of the profane. Uh, so for me, this is how the culture, this is how gender, race, all those things begin to come in and become into play um, with this. And so again, scratching the surface, hopefully it kind of gives you a little bit more, but let me open it up for some Q&A, because I know y'all got it. I can see it on your face. Yes, and then we'll come over here. I was just going to say, could you define a theology that profanes the yeah. TV bit? Absolutely, sure. No, absolutely. So sociologists define the profane as kind of the mundane and everything that we do on Monday. Going back, I like that analogy. What happens on Monday? I would take it a step further and also say, like, well, where does God show up, right, in the crap? Where does God show up in the messiness, right? Because art is always neater than real life. Where does that, where does that show up? It's one of the reasons why, you know, Christian artists just drive me nuts because they always want to give us the answer, right? They're quick to give us the answer. Yeah, Christian films, they want to give you the answer. It's going to work out in the end. Ah, I don't know if it is. But I think God is still there. I mean, that's what, what uh, uh, they asked, uh, what was her name? The nun. Oh. No, no, no. no. Mother Teresa, there we go, Mother Teresa. <laughs> they asked Mother Teresa, they said, well, yeah, I'm with you, though, I'm with you, I'm with you. But Mother Teresa, they're like, why are you doing what you're doing? And she was just like, yeah, I know, some of these people, their tickets are punched. But she said, no one deserves to die alone. No one deserves to die without humanity. And I'm like, man, that for me is God showing up in those cosmic spaces, right? That's for me is that profaneness because it's not nice. My grandfather was an a-hole until the day he died. But at that moment, he was able to say, man, I'm proud of you. And was able, we were able to reconcile, right? And so for me, that's that, how do we deal with that and, and look at that in real time? That's some crazy stuff. And what does forgiveness look like to abusers? I don't know, I don't have the answer. I don't have the answer, but that for me is that profane. And then the day to day, you know, like what, what do you do with the F word? Yeah. Right? You know what I'm saying? Because I ain't going to front. <laughs> it's true. I stubbed my toe. It's coming out. You know what I'm saying? So um, that for me is part of that theology of the profane. That makes sense a little bit? Yeah. So like, like a, a song like um, like TLC's Waterfalls. When yes. They'll go chasing water, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, right. So, I mean, the song, all the, all the verses for those who aren't familiar are about, you know, just awful things. Yes. Yes. They make this beautiful, lovely little. <laughs> Absolutely. So they're taking something. Yes. Awful. I mean, it's there you go. By, you know, AIDS there you go. And being shot. There you go. You got it. But they make it this beautiful piece that people just. Yes. They're able to take and, and just work it in and make an art out of something. Absolutely. Using Absolutely. I understand. Yes. And I think Lauren Hill, just to add to that, I think Lauren Hill's first album does that beautifully. Eminem. Uh, yo. Eight mile, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right, all right. Yes, yes. So profane isn't necessarily anti-God. No. It's, it's, it's the non-religious. Non non-religious. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, there's so much profanity in the Bible, right? It's like we we want this G-rated gospel, but it's like it really is in our 17 and at times triple X, and we we overlook that. And I think you know, going to some of those areas. I mean, like I said, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm, I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in that, but I've made my peace with all the Abrahamic faiths. So I don't think only Christians are going to be in heaven. It's like, you know, like, come on. 
Um, I don't identify as evangelical either, so I kind of look at you know Matthew 28 is a little differently and stuff. So, um, and that's okay. I think you know we can differ in all that good stuff like that. Like I said, I don't think any of us have a, a time machine and want to figure it out. People who say they haven't figured it out scare me, right? Um, those are the people, unfortunately, that fall into leadership. <laughs> you know, they want to go out because uh, as a kid, I still remember my. Mom was uh, briefly a part of Jim Jones's flock in Berkeley. Yes. Right. He was in California. And I still remember as a kid, I mean, I vaguely remember showing up and just hearing some of these from my first sermons were that right now. Thankfully, you know, she ended up getting out and all that good stuff. But nevertheless, I mean, that we all know, right, in this group, kind of how that ended. Uh, most people don't know, understand the, the phrase, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. I can tell my students now, like, drink, what, what is that, Spongebob? Like, no, 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 way before Spongebob. But yes. But no, it's not necessarily anti-God. I had a question about the Z for Jesus. Yes. Yes, the misspelling. Absolutely. So the Z is... It is. It also brings a little bit more of a contextual feel. So this goes back to like Tupac and the Outlaws, and they write a whole song on Black Jesus. And they talk a little bit about the changing of the S and how the S was much more, you know, Eurocentric, whereas the Z were adding a little bit more of a mm to it. Well, and that's what it really sounds like. Yes. Yes. So you got it. Yes, sir. So in context, this came in in the. 70s or music, the music part, mm-hmm. the rap part in mm-hmm. the 90s, and um, we're calling it hip hop. Mm-hmm. So, what about after colonization and the spirituals that slaves sang and stuff? Is there a oh oh brother? That, like, is that denoted? Oh, hip hop era, but it's a it's all there. But did we ever claim it? Is it? I'm I'm just trying to figure out. We're now calling this hip hop, or this is what we're terming hip hop. Yes. Modern. Yes. Modern time. Yes. But they were singing spiritual. Yes. 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 That's the man. Yes. Yes, brother. You got it. It's all there. What did they call it? Yes. Well, it was the Negro spirituals. I mean, it was termed as that. But no, I'm not talking about the music. I'm just talking about that whole culture. Yeah, that culture. It goes by different. It goes by different phenomena. I mean, you could. The enslavement period. I mean, you have music from the enslavement era. Uh, so, James. So modern day. Yes. Oh yeah. Blues is that part of that as well? Yeah. Jazz. Jazz. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, but if you listen to original Negro spirituals, oh my gosh, they're dark. They're prophetic. They're talking about death, right? Yeah. So I'm just the same motifs. It's just yeah. exactly. So was that sociologically termed as something? Like I haven't seen too many, like right? It had to have been called something. I haven't seen too many other outside of Negro spirituals. The era of the of the Negro of, of, of gospel, black gospel music, the black gospel era. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but looking back, we, we all call that all hip hop. We could put we could put that in there, and it's definitely a major engine component of, of, of modern-day hip-hop. I'm just thinking we're, we're coining this phrase or we're using yeah. hip-hop as the definition of something that happened way back when. Mm-hmm. But I think way back when, or what did they call it? There was some term. It's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, I, yeah. Sociology is using all these same terms. Yes, terms, right? yes, yes. But I'm with you, brother. There's something there. Shoot. There's your research project. The final. <laughs> Week 17. You know, so There it is right there. Yes. Let me go over here, and I'll come back to you, sir. 
If you had to pick your top three or maybe five. Oh. I knew this. I knew. I knew this question was coming. I've tried. I've heard. You know, rap is everybody's expressing yeah, themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What are your What are your songs that would interest me? Who's not interested in listening to? No, abs- no, absolutely. I think. Oh my gosh. Um. Jazz, I love blues, I love rock, I love all sorts of music. I haven't found enough. Yes. Or an artist. Well, I. No, that's a good question. So, um, so I'll give you the digital side first. The digital side, I have a playlist specifically for that on Spotify that I can send to you, and you can set a post out um, on the just yes. And so I can and I can have that, and I'll give you my email address and contact information, all that stuff. So that's the the digitized side. But for me, I'm still like analog, and 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 I would definitely say. Um, <sighs> Let me, let me start here. Let me, I, I, well, here. I think this artist here. Yeah, I think Grandmasters, Grandmaster Flash. I mean, the guy who recorded, you know, this song right here, right? This song here captures the moment, right? It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder. So Grandmaster Flash, um, Melly Mel was really the one who, who rapped this. I mean, so this was an artist that I think captured what was going on at the time. I and mean, a lot of the stuff he's talking about is still happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Clear and the words you can understand. Yes. Yeah, right there. Yeah, he's rapping on the downbeat, so it's like, you know, you can, you can pick up on, on a lot of that. I mean, Tupac's work is great. Um, it's a, you know, there's definitely some poetics and, and whatnot in that. I would say if you wanted to start somewhere, start it with Me Against the World. Mm-hmm. That was a great... No, I didn't think you would know it. Absolutely. The Roots, uh, which, you know, the drummer now plays for, uh, what's his name? Um, There you go, Jimmy Fallon. Um, But their Undone album is a concept album dealing with alcoholism and depression and suicidal thoughts and ideations. Amazing. Amazing. And you can understand it, right? It's like you can understand some of that. I would also go back to, um, oh, what's his name? He's a spoken word artist. Um, Oh, Gil Scott Heron. You can find him on YouTube. You ain't got a subscription or any of that. I mean, you, Gil Scott Heron, and again, you can hear it. It's clear. It's speaking, right, to those. He was not well. I don't know if he was or not. He, oh, definitely. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, I used to go to Monterey Jazz Festival all the time when I was a kid. And so, yeah, he, no, he was there. He was there, absolutely. And he, his voice commands, and he's not doing any music. It's just him, the mic, and he's telling you a story. Exactly. There you go. There you go. And so, yes, I think Kanye's, you know, first album, College Dropout, I think that's great as well. Um, I think Kendrick's new one is great. Um, Damn, but I I would say Section 80 is probably a little bit more embracing of some of the more common stuff that we've been talking about tonight. Um, And then, of course, MC Light, I think her stuff, because MC Light, you know, one of the first female artists to come out, She's rapping on the downbeat, very clear. The beat is early hip-hop music, especially that it came out of the East Coast. The beat was less emphasized, and it was all about the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And what got me was about, and back in the day, it was about how you didn't sound like the other artists. Mm-hmm. You know, because I still write music, and I still have my own studio and everything. And it's interesting to me to hear, particularly young rap artists, talking about how much they want to sound like this person and that person. I'm like, oh, no. For me, I don't want to be, act like an old prude myself, but I'm like, no, the, the culture was about, 
you becoming this individual and how you're able to, to twist that. So MC Light was that. She has a very unique, to this day, a very unique voice and style, and she'll deliver it in a crisp, clean way. And so, man, she, she's amazing. So those are just some of the artists, I would say, off the top of my head. That's great. And you have a playlist. That yes. Yes. And I'll, like I said, I'll, I'll make those. Yep, I'll make that available. Well, thank you. No, thank you. That's a great question. Ken. I was just going to say Arrested Development. Oh, my gosh. Um, Forget about yeah. it. Speaking was in here, right? The, mm-hmm. I, have, I, don't, I haven't formulated this question really well, but um, you talking about the, the the candy or you know whatever you describe the kind of mainstream whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and, the, and then the one guy who wanted to go deeper, but his record company wouldn't let him. Mm-hmm. What are what are we to make of you know the if I'll just speak for myself. The, you know, a lot of the mainstream stuff does seem kind of empty. Yeah. And and I I know just from listening to you and reading and whatever, I know there's more depth mm-hmm. inherently, even in a lot of that empty stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we know that the record companies are basically demanding mm-hmm. that the artists put out, you know, less than, you know, deep material. Mm-hmm. If the it's kind of pop to. music. Well, all, all genres of music have, you know, like 10% really deep mm-hmm. stuff, and then the rest of it's fluff or, or you know, candy. You know, fluff well, pays the bill. But did yeah. you finish your question? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I mean, there a question? Well, that, that, I mean, that, that's actually a good, good, I, I hadn't, I, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. Um, I, I mean, mean, maybe that's the answer. Maybe it is just the you know, that's the surface. Mm-hmm. It, just like any other genre of music, you know. The, and, and yeah. We consume it, and it's empty calories, and there maybe is nothing inherently bad about it. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm really, I, I, this is so fascinating, as I kind of feel like it's just scratched the surface. You know? We have. Like you're talking about the, <laughs> like you're talking about the. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, brother, I know. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you. you all, all of the, the history and the culture and the, and the whatever has developed. Um, I, yeah. Well, it's similar. Hip hop is very similar to me, just like the early seven, or late 70s and early 80s punk, like that punk scene, both the European and the US scene. Um, you know, I mean, I think the manifestation of that, and, and Beastie Boys, I think, yes, there were some popular stuff, but you look at Beastie Boys' work, like what they've done in the community and what they've done to try to end anti, either anti, you know, slavery and, and, and abuse. I mean, they've done some amazing stuff, but they come out of that community, right? And so there's a lot of overlap with punk music um, and hip-hop. And so, like, people who be like, oh, I can't get my head around hip-hop. Well, it goes into punk and, and, and kind of dissect that, and there hasn't been a lot of work done around that. I also think um, kind of the, the figure that came out of this, the, the era in the 90s of kind of that Seattle rock sound was really Kurt Cobain. Right, grunge, right. Not a lot of work has been done around that, but there's a lot of overlap. In fact, if you think about it, that whole era, all those artists were hanging out together. Tupac, Arrested Development, um, you know, all those cats, Nine Inch Nails, they were all in some of the same areas and some overlapping. There was a studio in, in L.A. Uh, called uh, Music City, and it was in Burbank, and, like, oh, so much was written there. In fact, if you haven't seen the documentary, I think it's called uh, Music City. I think that's what it's called. 
Yeah, Music City, and it talks about this particular one studio had an Eve outboard, and you know, I'm a nerd and gearhead and stuff and everything. But a lot of artists hung out there. Um, I was the only thing I was sad about that is they didn't talk about the rap artists that came through uh, that place as well. But they all were connecting, and I don't see that necessarily. A lot of people are siloed in the music industry right now. This is my music. This is what we do. <laughs> kind of like North Park. <laughs> Man, this is my area. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Um, and if you come over this way, you're gonna have to pay sixty-two thousand dollars a minute if you want me on your album. Whereas back in the day, that wasn't the case. Snoop would show up on anybody's album, right? You know. So anyways, to get back to what you're saying, one of the challenges I put back to my students is, why do you consume what you consume? Because somebody's buying it. I mean, advertising 101, if nobody's buying it, we've got to change it. But somebody's buying it. Somebody's streaming it. Yeah, I, I was actually going to, it's really funny where you went with that, because I was going to say, as I was researching, because there's, there's two more weeks of this, you guys, so if you're worried about scratching the surface, we're going to go. Uh, don't worry. Um, it's so, um, but the thing that was interesting to me was I kept comparing it to punk music. Yeah. It's so funny you said that. And I was going to say, because I, I grew up, I, I, not, I don't know that everybody here knows this, that I was actually going into the music business, before I took a sharp left turn and ended up in ministry. Come on. And, um, and it, but it was in the punk scene. Yeah. Like second wave punk scene. Come on. I would say, like, oh, yeah, I write for, like, HM, which is Hard Music Magazine, and stuff. And they would say, oh, so you listen to, like, Green Day? And I'd go, well, no, that's the stuff that's on the radio. <laughs> what I was into You're right. was a totally different world. And the, the, the connection that I made was I read something or saw something as I was researching, and it was a, but it said that what kids listen to in the inner cities mm-hmm. is not what we buy in the suburbs. It's not the same artists. And I went, oh, of course. They're not going to listen to the same stuff that's packaged for, I mean, that's a, that's a gross overdose. <coughs> but, but it's interesting, yeah. Think, yeah. Oh, that's Blink-182 versus... You know, EDL or something that I would have been. Yes. Back well, in the day. I, that, oh, I'm like I got it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that helped you. Yeah, and, and actually that brings up a second question <laughs> that, that I never I never thought about. <laughs> but you know, I remember as a junior high kid at a Christian school watching a, a doc a thing about how bad music is for everybody, mm. and they distinctively <laughs> brought and I remember this because I read the article today about Jello Biafra and the Dead Kennedys yes. saying, I cannot believe my, mu- my music was not supposed to be relevant mm-hmm. in 2019. Well, they talked about him, this was 1984, I don't know when, but you know, they talked about the Dead Kennedys and how you know, their song is about driving over children and screaming <laughs> children. Right. Yeah. Lyrics up, and we all sudden, with our mouth hung open, like, "Wow, evil devil!" Oh man, alive in the world. I know. Chicago, and my brother, who's a student out here, said they completely missed the point. You know, this is not. (laughs) They take it. They took it literally. When what it's talking about is, you know, the, the. you know the the dominant culture, uh-huh. you know, crushing and stepping all over the you know the the downtrodden, and mm-hmm. and I was like, well, you know, what? I mean, at, at that age, I was just trying to get a grip That's on really allegory cool. and and whatnot. And <clears throat> so, anyways, my question is, is that same kind of I'll call it tongue in cheek for lack of anything else, uh-huh. but is is there a big piece of that in a lot of um, hip hop and rap, where yeah. the, 
was to the untrained ear, you're listening to a whole bunch of stuff that just sounds, you know, profane. When yeah. in fact, just like Joe Biafra and the Dead Kennedy. Hey, okay. You know, no, you're you're completely missing. So there's a guy in the African American community. I'll I'll bring it home, right? For me, it's like this guy named African American. He's been around for a long time now. G. Craig Lewis, um, and he has a whole series called The Truth Behind Hip Hop, and it started. Uh, with volume, he's on volume nine. I bought the first volume. I was like, well, I'll buy it. You know, let me just see what's up and free search. And I buy it anymore. <laughs> um, but his whole thing is, right, everything in hip-hop is demonic. And he has a whole presentation, DVD in the whole nine, right? Um, it's very similar to what you're talking about, right? And he goes into, I worked on uh, the album, one of the albums that he was talking about. And again, same thing. I'm like, no, that wasn't it. <laughs> you missed it. But to the untrained ear and to somebody who wants to believe that, it's easy. So I was talking to my daughter, you know, uh, as I, in, in fact, I, when I leave here, I got to go pick her up. She's at, she rides horses. And we were taking her out to her barn, and she's learning about in the enslavement period and all this stuff. And, like, it's amazing to me what she didn't get in elementary, and now she's getting in middle school. Um, and, uh, you know, she, she was talking about it. She's like, man, I just can't believe it. I said, like, yeah, it's important to know history because it's very, anybody can take advantage of you if you don't know history. And there's a lot of people, and I'll say this again for the black community, there's a lot of folks in the black community, right? We may vote democratically and liberally, but gosh, dogs, we're way more conservative than white folks will ever be. Ever be. And so when it comes to music and the secular and the sick, man, I come out of that, yo. If I'd heard myself giving the same talk 25, 28 years ago, oh, I'd have been shooting. Like, let's, we got to burn. We got to get a stake and, and burn some people, man. I mean, this is demonic. This is, because again, it's easy to fall into those traps. I was not a, uh, I was an opponent of Tupac. When Tupac was alive, I was in Young Life and doing all this stuff with kids, and they would bring me cassettes, if you can believe that, and say, listen to this guy. He's, I know, I know, I know. You have to raid, right? You have to get the pencil to turn him around and everything. Listen to this song. And I remember, man, just going toe-to-toe with them and being like, no, this is secular, and this is, these are idols that you're taking on. And fortunately, I've been able to find most of them and, and literally apologize to them um, about, man, you know, I mean, they're grown folks now, but, you know, that back in the, you know, 90, 94, 95, I was, you know, I was a very fundamentalist pastor. I would have loved somebody like G. Craig Lewis. He's charismatic. You know, he's got the look, little hip-hop. Look, interestingly enough, he just put out a hip-hop song against hip-hop. So I was like, you're killing me, brother. You're killing me, man. But, like, he's against, like, all, even Christian hip-hop. Like, Lecrae and all of them. He's like, no, nah, even them, they're just serving, serving the devil. And I'm like, oh, brother, you're exhausting. And I couldn't get him. I tried to get him on campus. Um, when I was in L.A., I tried to get him. He wouldn't come. He sent me a letter and just said, yeah, I'm not going to argue. I said, well, brother, you know, can you just, like, show me some of your sources? He says, my sources is the Spirit of God. So I say, okay, well, <laughs> whoa, yeah, I can't argue with that. I can't argue with the spirit of God. So, um, so I talk a little bit about him in the solo hip hop. But it's the exact same thing that you're talking about. It's just that people just miss the point. Because, unfortunately, pop culture artists make it easy, right? Use my, like, you know, Marilyn Manson, if you remember that back in the 90s and stuff. Like, Marilyn pales in comparison now. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Marilyn Manson was like the thing, like, oh my gosh. He's a demon from everything. I mean, that cat, you sit down with that cat. That, he has some amazing stuff. But it makes it so easy, right, to be like, oh, my gosh, look at oh, that, and he's wearing penis and rectum. Oh! <laughs> I get it. I get it. So this is my uh, latest and greatest book, uh, Homeland Insecurity. All these are available on Amazon. That's me. That's my website, whitehatchpodcast.com, Profane Faith, weekly podcast. 
Um, it's anywhere you find your podcast, so just type that in. Then I'm on Twitter. That's really my only public like social media profile. Um, everything else, I just just pictures of my cat, you know. So. <laughs> so hip-hop. What kind of theology? Yes, hip hop missiology. Definition of missiology. Looking at the missio day, what is the mission of God through the through the Great Commission? So missiology essentially for the last thirty-five years has looked at, you know, a, a theology around missions and those who have been sent out. And so I'm talking a little bit more domestic, but so yeah, this one's this one's a good one. This is a good a good thicky book, about 140,000 words. So it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a page turner though, you know. Patient got footnotes. You know what? That IVP sent it. It looked good. I was like, let's go with it. You know. <laughs> no, it was just like you know. I had to work on my other ones. Like this other cover here. This cover here. A student of mine that I used to mentor did that for me. Um, I couldn't get Tupac on this one, so I had to just choose whatever because we couldn't afford it. This one I wanted to, the, the, the only album covers that they had was like all these stereotypical black people like posing and stuff. And I was like, eh. So I want the white guy standing above this and whatnot. And I've gotten a lot of flack for that since. You know, people are like, why did you go with him? I was like, I, I wanted to be different. <laughs> um, you know, and so that's, yeah, that's kind of the thing behind. What's behind his head? It's uh, rims. That's the subtitle. Rims, Tim's. Ah, they're spinning, yeah. And a cultural theology. But yes, this is my latest and greatest. And uh, Baptized in Dirty Water should be out, hopefully, within the month with Whip and Stock. That's a cool title. Yeah. Yes, yes. Are you in the Department of Religion? No. 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 That's a whole other conversation. I actually started there. That's why I was hired. Thankfully, I was out. They, they, I was able to get moved out. Um, I'm in the Communications Department, which is what my... PhD is really in. I just was doing youth ministry for years and years, and I got hired under the then Provost Joe Jones, who wanted to kind of shake things up. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Ken, you've been there longer than me, brother. You can you can break it down. I, it's a seminary. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it depends on who's looking. Yeah, right, right. It depends on who's looking. Right. It's not as conservative as, uh, you know, Wheaton or Hope oh, well. or whatever. Oh, well, but, that's conservative. Yeah. yeah. more conservative than UCC, yeah. If you listen to my podcast, you'll wonder how I'm still hired. So um, I'll, just, I'll just say that. I'll, that's what I was wondering. You'll, 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 you'll definitely say that. But, hey, I'm tenured. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> tenured and full professor, so, yeah. Right? Well, that was part of why I liked it. I did. I did see that, and I was like, oh, I like that. So a little microphone. And then we didn't have to worry about images and royalties and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you as well. Thank you.